Coming up... What do you think we should call this episode? A gay, a non-gay, and a geezer. A geezer. <laughs> or a gazer, as the case may be. A gazer. <laughs> I was thinking a daddy. Maybe granddaddy. A granddaddy. <laughs> a Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're going to talk about things you probably don't want your nan to hear. Hi, welcome to Again and On Gay, and welcome to Pride Month. Woo! By the way, did you see that that miserable woman has uh, has been saying that she thinks one day there might be a cure for being gay, and that gay conversion therapy is legit? Yeah, oh God, I saw too- that. And then Trump as well tweeted about Gay Pride Month, which is just the most confusing side eye thing ever. Uh, he was like, "I'm sending support to all the LGBT people that make our country great," even though he like banned transgender people from the military and is threatening our lives every single day. I know all that's important, but today, should we just... <laughs> we've got an amazing uh, interview on the show today with Armistead Maupin, who's an author that wrote the Tales of the City books in the 70s and 80s that were massively influential. Yeah, he's amazing. It was a TV production back in the day, and it's come back to Netflix. And you can stream it from Friday, and it's genuinely so awesome. Dan and I have both seen it. We love it. Um, and we got to hang out with Armistead who is like a gay icon. When I told my older gay friends about this, sorry to them, they literally freaked out. And we started by asking him if he could work out which <laughs> which one of us was gay and which was non-gay. Classic. I thought I'd throw him a bit by wearing a Castro t-shirt that I bought from the Castro in, in San Francisco, which is the gay area of the city. So I thought I'd throw him by wearing that. Should we do it? Let's do it. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay and a granddaddy. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. A gay, a non-gay, and a granddaddy with Armistead Morpin. One of you is gay and one of you is not gay. That is correct, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the one in the Castro sweatshirt is not gay. Really? See, that's interesting. Yeah, I would have thought you'd have gone the other way because of the Castro. No. <laughs> I think you're faking me out, you, yeah. you devious straight man. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely trying it. Yeah. So yeah, this, the non-gay is wearing the Castro hoodie. I knew it. How did you know that, though? I don't know. There's something about you. <laughs> Thank you. I love the fact that you got this podcast. Thanks. Well, actually, that's really interesting because we're, you know, our podcast is all about bringing people together. And I think Tales of the City is a similar kind of concept. Yeah, very much so. Uh, one of the more... Uh, doubted things in tales in the beginning was that brian and michael had such a friendship the straight guy and the gay guy had reasons to relate to each other as men and uh i loved celebrating that kind of a friendship they were gay and non-gay as well exactly did you call them non-gay at the time or no 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 (laughs) just straight just before we talk about you i just want to talk about me for a second if that's okay yes please i couldn't help but notice that you've got attitude magazine in front of you I was wondering if you recognize me at all. Are you in it? I'm, I'm on the cover. You're not Taryn Edgerton. No, 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 the, the other cover. <laughs> the other cover on the back. Oh, my God, you are. I was thinking you had something about the eyes like Jake Shears, which you do. Oh, thank, thank you. So there we go, that's you me. You know who I'm talking about? Is he too Of course. No, Jake Shears, Scissor Sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm there. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, are you friends with Jake? Yeah. Oh, wow. I feel like you're friends with all the most, like, the gayest celebs. Well, one of the great advantages when you come out as queer... And at an early age, you get to meet famous queers. 
and you collect them. It's the best thing. <laughs> some of them, some some that don't, you know, want to collect, but uh... some of them you don't want to. <laughs> do you collect non-gays? I guess you do. I guess I do. I don't deliberately do that, but they seem to flock to me. Yeah. Yeah. In a gay club where they're nervous or well, I sort of collect non-gays in my day-to-day life. If I'm in an LGBT space with James, I attract. Bears. Oh, do you? I bet yeah. you do. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're kind of cubby go- thing going there. And now you're blushing. He's a blushing bear. <laughs> a care bear. A care bear. Um, <laughs> so how important is it now then, the message of bringing people together in 2019? How, how important is that still? Well, I think it's hugely important. If we're going to hang on to a movement, for one thing, we need young and old, racial diversity, everything. We need to be talking to each other and saying what's in our hearts. I don't know, there's this tendency with gay folk, perhaps for protection, to identify with something like bear, for instance, and only hang out with bears, which is kind of ridiculous. And you punish people. My husband loves bears, but he's not one himself, and he hates it when he's rejected. Yeah. (laughs) Poor, beautiful thing. Uh, You know, he feels like he's being judged for what he is. For not being a bear. Yeah, and we, th- we should do better than that in our culture. We should be open to everybody. Why do you think that happens? I think it's, I re- as I said, I think it's a safety thing. If I only hang out with the people just like me, then I won't be hurt. Lesbians did that for a long time and uh, then didn't, you know, found each other. And gay men did it as far as not hanging out with lesbians. The AIDS crisis came along and they were our biggest support so the lesson is always to connect and uh, enjoy. Talking of the AIDS crisis, it feels like Tales of the City would have been one of the first, if not the first, thing. It, <laughs> to talk it about. was the first thing, yes. <laughs> uh, when John Fielding, I, don't, I probably shouldn't say this because there's always a spoiler out there for somebody who hasn't read the books. No spoilers. <laughs> there's a casualty. Right. I guess I just did. Okay, I? yeah. I mean, we don't know who or what, but okay. Yeah, I said the name, but never mind. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, don't tap 15. Don't go back, anyone. Um, it, it was the first mention of AIDS in fiction anywhere because it was in the newspaper and I could do it right away. I could respond to losing some friends. Yeah, so it was the first thing to deal with it. We've talked about uh, HIV and AIDS a lot and, and there's still so much more to talk about and it needs to be talked about forever and ever and ever because it's just so heartbreaking what, what happened um, throughout that 80s and, and it's still happening all around, all around the world in places. Um, it was obviously devastating at the time. Do you feel the effects of that crisis still now? Oh yeah. There's a moment in, in Tales of the City uh, in the new series where Michael, who's 54 now in the series, Uh, talks about that and how he doesn't even want to share it with his young lover because he doesn't want to bum him out. Sorry, bum him out. (laughs) What's that a quaint phrase now? No, no, I just couldn't. I was like, I'm sure he did bum him in the first episode. Yeah, 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 he did. (laughs) He bummed him. Yeah, he bummed him good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you Brits and your quaint expression. Do you not have that? Is that not uh, a a term? No, not bumming. It's a verb? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have uh, fans of ours right on our 
iTunes page saying, I'm bumming you. I'm bumming you? Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, um, back to the... <laughs> sorry. On, you'll never get him. Back to, back to the... <laughs> okay, thank you. You're right. This podcast's <laughs> over. Um, let's get back on track. Sorry, I took us out there. Um, now you're bright red. So in that scene, in that scene, they're at dinner, right? And they're talking about the differences between the older generation and the yeah. younger generation. And there are, there are a lot. Well, there are histories that we don't share. But that's easily solved if we just talk to each other. I was very lucky in that I had uh, Christopher Isherwood as sort of a guiding light when I was a young man. The great writer who wrote uh, the Berlin stories that Cabaret was based on. He invented Sally Bowles, you know. That was everything to my generation. Liza Minnelli. (laughs) And uh, he had dinner parties where he had every age of queer represented. He didn't make a conscious effort, but that's what happened. And we could all talk about our lives and our tricks, for God's sakes, you know. And we were better off for it. You could figure out, when you were talking to an older person, you could figure out where you might be heading, and uh, the older person can uh, see where they'd been. There was plenty to share, and not just in a, oh, be kindly to the old (laughs) way. You figure out when you get older that, uh, you know, the heart is so much what you want to cultivate, so that's what comes with, uh, with maturity, I think. Would this you... is usually the point where I say, you kids and your grinder. <laughs> In my day, we had to walk 10 miles through the snow just to suck a cock. What? <laughs> 10 miles? <laughs> 10 miles through the snow. Oh, I forgot that one's not gay. Ooh. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you were thrown by the Castro again. No, he's non-gay. Um, he doesn't have grinder. No, no. We can talk about these things. That's the great thing about it. Men can talk about sex. And should gay sex? Yeah. Well, not I don't want to hear. About, no, I don't want to hear about. You don't want to hear? Do you really want to hear about that? Do you want to hear about that? Well, it depends on what his stories are. They might be good. I don't have any good stories. Oh no! My girlfriend actually lives in Seattle. I got no stories. <laughs> <laughs> and she's to believe that nothing. Gum- you get up to nothing dangerous yeah. here. What are you suggesting? <laughs> I can't believe you're trying to break them up. Suggesting that's out- he's a straight man. That's outrageous. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stand up for him here and say, no, he's perfectly wonderful, I think. I'm sure he is. Um, can I ask you a really blunt question that I think you'll find funny, but you might not? A lot of people who I've told I'm meeting you today have said, oh, my God, he is iconic. So are you iconic or are you just old? I'm old. <laughs> Anna says that in the... I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was quoting, by the way, yeah, if anyone was offended were, by that. They were referring to me. I think that was a joke. <laughs> I would have said that myself. Yeah. yeah. That's what they call you when you get old. I don't know, because I call people that are young iconic. Your generation calls everything iconic. You call a toothpaste iconic. It's it's all over the web. It's like the word of the year, you know? That's true. I probably would call a toothpaste iconic. I prefer a simple legendary. That will do for me. That gets bandied around a lot as well. Everything's legendary and iconic. Legendary. Sorry. So so the show obviously uh, was written... Well, the books were written back in the 70s, 80s. It became a series as well. And, and uh, in this millennium as well. Okay. <laughs> Shook. Um, <laughs> he's quite far behind. Yeah. Is he? There are nine books. I, I heard that, Tell yeah. Tell your young friends. Nine books. Tell your cute young friends. Okay. <laughs> nine books. Um, Laura Linney played Mary Ann in the original series 25 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. And is now back. She is. How has she changed as an actor, would you say? She's always been a great actor. I knew it. I was intimidated when she first showed up on the set uh, in that first miniseries in 93. She could give you eight different takes with the adjustment for feeling in each one of them. She was amazing. 
And, of course, the loveliest person imaginable, and we've been dear friends. She named a baby after me. <gasps> well, her baby is called Armistead. She's called Bennett Armistead Shower. That's really beautiful. I thought so. And she and her husband called me, speaking of non-gays. <laughs> uh, they called me on the morning of the, uh, of the birth and, and told me. I didn't know until then. I knew about the pregnancy, but I'd been sworn to secrecy. Imagine that. What did you mean, imagine that? A queer being told to keep silent. He's <laughs> <laughs> saying we're not going to see we're a not. famous actress being pregnant. Yeah, that's true, actually. Did you manage to not tell anyone? Yeah, I did. I did. I think that's a measure of how much I love her. Oh. Um, she told us on Skype. Chris and I had invited her and, and Mark to our house in, in Santa Fe, and uh, they couldn't. They were going to come, and then they couldn't come, and, and finally they called and said, we want a little FaceTime with you, and, and called and said, uh, we want to show you why we couldn't come. And Laura stood up from the computer and showed us her very pregnant belly. And did that little happy dance that she does in yeah. Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a cute reveal. A gay, a non-gay, and a granddaddy with Armistead Morpin. You have moved here. Last month. You moved from San Francisco mm-hmm. to here. Yep. Why? Because we love London and uh, we wanted another adventure. Have you done San Fran now? Is that over? I don't know that it's totally over, but it probably is. San Francisco has changed a lot recently. And I guess 28 Barbary Lane in real life would be owned by like a rich billionaire, yeah. a billionaire tech firm. Oh, they sell firm. real estate on that lane all the time. And it's like $2 million. I mean, there was a time when you could live on any hill in San Francisco and find some cute little place and still afford it, even if you just had a simple job. You can't do that anymore. You can't even do it if you're a famous writer. It's cheaper to rent in London than it is to rent in San Francisco. Which says a lot if you know how much it costs to rent in London. Yeah, it does say a lot. How has the gay scene in San Francisco changed over that period of time? Um, well, everybody's on the Internet. I mean, we had a nice situation in the Castro there because we would stroll down every day and have breakfast at a cafe and know people, know the neighbors. So there's still that. There's still street life like you have in abundance in London. But uh, it's hard to tell, really, when I, when I say how has San Francisco changed, how has gay life changed. Well, I'm old now, so I don't know how much it's colored by the fact that I'm an old, happily married man. It'll be fun for somebody. <laughs> Obviously, this year it's Stonewall 50, and I feel like America pretty much started the LGBT liberation. But now, in a way, it kind of feels like Europe and the UK have maybe taken that a bit further. Do you agree with that? I do. Britain ran away with it, as far as I was concerned. When I came over here in the early 80s and wrote about it in Baby Cakes, I was kind of snickering at the quaint little gay scene of Britain. I remember remember reading Capital Gay and saying... uh, what did it say? Uh, remember, Tuesday is Sappho night at the Goat and Boots. <laughs> and I just, it just all sounded so quaint. And, and uh, the idea of gay men working out was a new one at that time. So our, they didn't match up to our clones, I thought, very smugly. But it's, it's run away with it. I think I blame Ian McKellen for it. <laughs> He's a friend of yours, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he is. He put us up here for a couple of weeks just so we could land on our feet. And a hero of mine, I might add. And all of us, I think. Yeah, he's astonishing. A great man, a lot of fun, really knows what he's doing when it comes to 
campaigning for people's rights. Is he saved in your phone as Ian McCallan or just Ian? What's a phone? <laughs> <laughs> I barely know. How is Ian? The f- Let me see. I, I was just wondering because I was like, it's always fascinating to me. Like if you were out and your phone started ringing and it was Ian McCallan. Whether it would say Ian or Ian McCallan. Yeah, because everyone around you would be like, oh my goodness. I don't know what it says, actually. Well, it was a stupid question anyway. It doesn't really matter. It's not exactly... It's not really. It's very revealing in many ways. Is he the number one Ian in your phone, or do you have another Ian? I don't know another Ian. Because <laughs> I'm actually James 2. I'm James 2 in Dan's life. Yeah. He knows another James that came oh, first. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that must be a bitter pill to swallow. It's really hard to swallow that. It's really hard. <laughs> and I, I'm quite good at swallowing, um, as I'm yeah. sure you can guess. <laughs> Um, Don't flirt with your subject. Going back to more serious stuff. Yeah, let's talk about the show. I think we should talk about the show, Dan. So you started writing this in the San Francisco Chronicle. Yes. Was that, at the time, a liberal paper that you could just write freely in, or were you kind of smuggling it in and using codes and being more subtle? I told them it was a, a story about a young woman who comes to town, and they thought it was going to be all about swinging singles. <laughs> Not realizing how little I knew about swinging singles. But the gay character, Michael, was introduced at the supermarket. Marianne runs into him. And then I brought him back a few episodes later, and then gradually the thing just went queer as could be. That, was, that wasn't your intention? To take it there? Yeah. Yes, it was. Okay. I mean, it, was, it was happened simultaneous with my own liberation. I mean, I was feeling it and realizing that what was happening to me was great material for a story, and then nobody else was telling it. So how much of it is your life? Um, no, not all of it, but there's a lot. I never entered a jockey shorts dance contest. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I did go home one night with a guy that was a Weegens fetishist. Oh, uh, a Weegens. What's that? They're loafers. Shoes. Trousers. Shoes. Shoes. It was very, I was sitting there in the bar with, you know, wearing these particular shoes. It was a very preppy thing. And he just invited me home almost instantly. And I got to his house. Gay culture. He had pictures of (laughs) Weegens all over his (laughs) apartment. No, there weren't men in them. There were just Weegens. And uh, later I saw that he had an ad in The Advocate. He put an ad in it for looking for people to. He said Bass Weegens. I later found out that he was the night clerk at a local hotel, which was the last place in town that would shine your shoes if you left them outside the door <laughs> at night <laughs> and he would cruise the hallway uh looking for weegens this is such a uh, weird story I, <laughs> that's why i'm telling you darling <laughs> i have no idea what he did to the weegens that's what i was about to ask yeah, i'm horrified when you you went home with him and you realized he had this like intense that he didn't care about me at all but my shoes what did you do I think I had some form of sex with him. <laughs> I'm not a fool. <laughs> Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, oh, we're back to your mouth again, are Oh, we? God, stop it. It's not me flirting. It's definitely you. Um, can you just take over, please? I can't leave you two alone. What I did want to ask is uh, I've read that you're at odds with some of your friends and family in terms of controversial views, and you've just cut some of them off, basically. Yeah. How easy is that to do? Uh, it's <laughs> remarkably easy. Really? When you realize that you're wasting time with people who do- aren't treating you respectfully, and only because they're your biological family, then you form what I call your logical family, the people who support you and who you are. It's easy to do. There's no, there's no reason... To do otherwise, um, I don't think blood is thicker than water. And I even never knew what that meant to begin with, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's certainly no argument for uh, 
uh, for maintaining connections with people. I love that logical family. I, I've always said chosen family, but I think yeah. logical family is a much better way of putting it, isn't it? Well, thank you. But um, both are good. Both say the same thing. You choose. Chosen is like a more deliberate thing, whereas logical is like, it's obvious. It's there. You know who they are. After a while, you just think, who do I tell the truth to? Who do I go to when I'm upset or And actually, or happy? did you draw on any of that for Marianne's journey and coming back and then getting out of the taxi? No spoilers. Very much so. I mean, that, that theme repeats itself throughout Tales of the City. I'm trying to think of things in the new series, but I don't want to tell them, so... There is an amazing episode in the new series about the 1960s. Yes. Which I, I don't want to ruin for anybody, but it's, it sounds like it's kind of amazing. I think we should talk about that and what happens. It's, uh, well, I won't tell you much about it, but it's a flashback where you see Adam Madrigal returning, uh, arriving in town on a Greyhound bus and falling in with a bunch of uh, trans women. And uh, it's got a little romance in it, and... Uh, it examines all sorts of themes that are prevalent in tales. I've somehow lost the note I wrote, but it's about an iconic moment. Sorry, a moment, um, an incredible, <laughs> legendary moment that, that preceded the Stonewall riots by two yeah. years. Uh, the Compton's Cafeteria riots. I don't actually know about that. So. No, nobody knows about it, but Why? it happened. What, it what happened? hijacked by the Pride celebrations. That's a strong word, I know, and it's really just... In the early days of, pri of the Pride Parades, we wanted to commemorate something, and Stonewall seemed like the logical starting point, you know. And it was governed by gay press out of New York, I guess. So what happened two years earlier? Um, there was a riot with trans women who fought back against the police. It's very much the same thing. And that's what's significant about both events, were just that moment where people said, we've had enough of this shit. We're not going to put up with this any longer. And we don't care if you take and throw us in jail. We're going to talk back. And that's what we've had to do as a culture, really, over many, many years. We are a very patient people, <laughs> I find. We have been. We've, we've put up with shit for so long. We've put up with uh, candidates uh, in, the, in America that... Still putting up with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, some more than others. But I didn't dream that, we'd, that somebody like Pete Buttigieg would come along and... That's amazing. We have that guy who's there with his husband and... Yeah, it is amazing. Who's really smart and... Masculine. And masculine. And hot, sorry. And, hot. Um, <laughs> and intelligent. Intelligent. All those things. A gay and a non-gay. And a granddaddy. Our trans brothers and sisters are facing a very difficult time at the moment. Yeah, because everybody knows who they are now. They've stepped forward and, uh, and they get resistance. And the bigots in the country are just saying, well, we... We're not going to put up with this, you know. Um, but they're going to have to. And it's because so many people have drawn a line in the sand now. How does the new series of Tales of the City tell that story even more? Because it's it's so inspiring that you started this vision for Tales of the City back in the 70s. And, and you dealt with a lot of, of this stuff then. But now, with everything going on with transphobia, how are you dealing with that in the new series? Well, in many cases, it's just trans people leading their lives with their friends. It's certainly an issue in the flashback sequence. But we also have a scene very early on between Anna, a trans woman, and Jake, a trans man, talking about their experience and what it felt like when they first made the leap and decided to be themselves, um, which is one of the more touching scenes in the, in the story, I think. There's a lot of representation, and I think it will really help a lot of people, as, as your so. books originally did. I hope so. I really do. 
Uh, and I hope people will go back and read the books if they haven't read them. <laughs> <laughs> Is the backdrop of transphobia in America why you brought it back or were you always planning on, on bringing it back? No. I mean, it's all t- my life and my work have always been just tied up with each other. You know, uh, it's rich m- new material, which we can uh, examine in so many ways. I mean, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, sliding gender scale thing can be very complicated and sometimes comic uh, with people who are in romantic relationships, and sometimes heartbreaking. That all of that is explored, but it all boils down to the same theme that's always been around with tales, which is we have we all have a right to love the way we want to love. You kept your sexuality a secret for a while. Yeah, I was in my early 30s until. I came out. I came out really fully in Tales of the City, writing it for the newspaper. I was having adventures already uh, in the city, and that was emboldening me to embrace the political side of things. Would that be different now? Do you think you'd come out younger? Oh, probably. How old are you? (laughs) Twelve? I mean, I, I mean, it depends what my Wikipedia page is saying today. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. What is your Wikipedia? I'm going to go look it up immediately. <laughs> Can we ask about your husband and how you met? Because the story apparently is pretty amazing. Yeah, so I read this. I've read the story, and James hasn't hasn't read it. So, well, yes, um, we met on the street. It was a combination, old-fashioned and modern meet, in that I had, I saw him on the street and cruised him just the way we did back in the old days, and he me. But I had seen his picture on. Uh, Daddy Hunt. (laughs) So I was emboldened to talk to him because I knew that he only liked guys over 45. I told him I was overqualified for that position. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was a combination of the web and uh, and the old-fashioned street meet. Daddy Hunt. I haven't been on that. He started that. Oh, really? Yeah. So he was particularly flattered when he saw that I'd looked at it. Uh, no, you haven't. If you're, if you're ever hunting for a daddy, that's where you should look. Where, do the, where does the age start from? What's the in- intro age for a daddy? I thought you were going to say for a, for, for a what? For, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> what did you think? I guess he means the other end of it, right? Yeah. I think that's going over my head. Anyway, never, so what's it's not the... funny anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think you're a daddy if you say you're a daddy. Right. Okay, cool. So we've done other episodes with different people. We've, we've called them. So we did one with our, our trans friend, Juno Dawson. He's an amazing writer. And we called that a gay, a non-gay, and a trans. We also interviewed a person recently and called that episode a gay, a non-gay, and a non-binary. What do you think we should call this episode? A gay, a non-gay, and a geezer. <laughs> a geezer. Or a gazer, as the case may be. A gazer. <laughs> I was thinking a daddy. Maybe granddaddy. Granddaddy. <laughs> Don't tell me you've got the word geezer in America, or you've, you've picked that yeah. up over... Really? Oh, yeah. What does it mean? I mean, not... Oh, is a gay term, you mean? Or just... Geezer well, just means an old man. Yeah, so over here, a geezer is like like a proper lad. A proper lad? Would drink a lot, would know a lot of people. I can't really... Yeah, like, you know, a Trevor. Like, oh, he's the right geezer. <laughs> he's always down the pub, plays darts. And I had no idea. <laughs> I'm not that person, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, we'll go with granddaddy. <laughs> What's a geezer? What's your geezer term? What it just that? means an old man. But I, something. I won't call myself a geezer anymore in case they think I'm playing darts down at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> See you there. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us. Tales of the City is on Netflix right now, and it's, it's amazing. No spoilers, no spoilers. Um, thanks so much for chatting to us, Armistead. I guess now you're in the UK, we might bump into each other in one of the bars. It's possible. We go to the ones in Soho sometimes. Okay, cool. 
and I guess the two brewers is going to be oh, out local. Well, the two brewers is everything, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> yes. I, I only went at four o'clock in the afternoon, so that was a mistake. Okay, well, I'll see you there. We'll be dancing <laughs> right. to Spice Girls. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks so much to Armistead Morpin for hanging out with us. It was awesome to meet such an important LGBT icon. Wow. Um, don't forget that we're at Underbelly this Saturday if you're in London. Yes, we are. We are performing at 5pm on the South Bank in London. Tickets are £14. You can get them from gaydongay.com forward slash live. We'd love to see you there. We've got loads planned. And don't forget we're going on tour. You can see us in Dublin, Belfast and Edinburgh. And you can get tickets right now. Gaynongay.com slash live. See you next week. Find us on your socials at Gay Non-Gay. Listen at gaynongay.com or just search non-gay at your fave pod app.